0: Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. Uh, We, as a local church, are about to dive into uh, a pretty intensive series this fall, uh, learning how to become more Jesus-centered, and the underlying uh, kind of theological framework is the difference between what we refer to as being bounded set versus centered set, and to launch us into all of that understanding and even all of that language uh, is not only uh, somewhat of an expert uh, in this area, because they work with a ministry that really focuses on this, but someone from our community who's playing uh, an interim role as a location pastor right now uh, at our Welland location, guy by the name of John Hand. John, welcome, and thanks for being here.
1: My pleasure. This is great. It's a, a treat to speak to, to wear a couple hats here and speak to my own community and then speak about something that I'm very much love and am passionate about.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the many hats is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's your first time uh, joining us in our podcast environment, hopefully not the last, but uh, maybe you could start off just by orienting all of us, both from Southridge and the leaders listening uh, to a little bit more about yourself, where you're from, background and whatever, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So we, um, I've been married to Amy and Amy also works at Southridge. She's uh, works at the Welland location and she works in the Harvest Kitchen ministry and Collective Kitchen, which is, is great to like partner up with her in some ways Uh, We've been married for 23 years. We are from the States. We moved here to Welland seven years ago and moved here after church planting for about nine years in Pennsylvania, where we raised our family. And um, I moved here for work, working with a a local denomination and doing leadership development with that denomination. I have three kids. I've got a a 20-year-old who's living in Hamilton. She goes to Mac I've got an eighteen year old who just started her grade twelve year and then a 14 year old who just started grade nine at centennial uh, 14 year old boy so two girls and a boy so life is full and and good uh, I have been in church ministry for the last twenty five years uh, I'm kind of kind of like a nerd that way. Like I've been in mega churches. I've been in small churches. I've been in micro churches. I've been a youth pastor. I've been a se- senior pastor. I've been an interim pastor. Um, I've been a denominational leader. Now I'm help, like leading a network of churches. And so I've just kind of been around the church block. I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. I've seen a lot of ugly. Um, and I've seen a lot of beautiful, which has really given me a passion for the church of of Jesus.
0: And just to pull on that a little bit more, when you moved from Pennsylvania to Welland, how did you stumble on Southridge? Uh,
1: so we were we were in town a couple years. Uh, we were kind of kicking around uh, some different churches trying to find a, a good landing for our family. And um, I think it was like probably three and a half years ago, maybe four years ago we we knew of Southridge. And we came to, I love telling this story, but we came to the Wellness Center in, in Welland and we walked in and big shout out to Christy Welms, who at the time was the, the FEM coordinator, uh, first, impressions first Impressions Ministry. Impressions ministry yeah. And she was on us in a good way, not obnoxious way, like a dog on a bone. And she just wanted us to connect and feel comfortable and seen and all of those things. And she was really the bridge that helped us get connected and when we walked in to that space, you know, we were still, our hearts were still in Pennsylvania and they were still with our church that we left. We started that baby and it felt like family and it felt like a baby, our baby. And when we walked into the wellness center, the set up and tear down church, we were like, we're at engage. Like we feel like we're at the church that we left. It felt like home And then within a couple of weeks, we were in a life group. We were sitting in someone's house. We were getting connected. And uh, it was a little complicated because I was still traveling on Sundays. I was not able to be around much. I was kind of doing work in the the GTA area. And my family was getting connected at Southridge. And I would kind of hop in and out. Um, So that's how we stumbled into Southridge at the Wellness Center. And uh, we've really appreciated this
0: community very much. Good. I'm going to make sure Christy Wilms gets those commissions. That's, uh, <laughs> that's that's, she's not on the payroll anymore. So no, that's, you know, that's, that's a big shout a out to KDW. Way to go.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, John, you mentioned your, your ministry background, you got extended, uh, extended ministry history. Um, I, I guess when you talk about being a bit of a ministry nerd, like, where does your heart for the church come from? And 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 sort of why do you stay at it when you you mentioned earlier you've seen the good the bad and the ugly, yeah. like where does this heart for the church come from?
1: Yeah, I think it comes from you know I I talk about how the the church and I thought um, this past weekend at the Welland location we we watched Mandy Casper talk about this theme but, um, you know the church hurts and it heals it's this weird double edged thing it's like what. Why would God's plan include something that could be so hurtful, and His plan to heal uh, include us? <laughs> so, like, I grew up in a church environment that was very exclusive, exclusionary, legalistic, fundamentalistic in the states, um, and and it was it was really toxic fundamental fundamentalism. A lot of shame based, a lot of guilt driven. And, and at the same time, I saw it change lives. It provided a structure for people whose lives were out of control and chaotic. And I saw it change people. And, but growing up in that, I rebelled from it. Screw this. Like I'm, I'm done with this. If that's what God's like, (laughs) no, thank you. I was always, I've always had a strong kind of inner rebel. And so I rejected that Version of God, but I didn't have a replacement uh, of of that version of of God. Like, who is God? If God is not that, what is God? And over time, as I kind of did my rebellious thing and walked away from church and kind of banged my head against my own ego and and found myself really at the end of high school miserable and kind of broken, um, I stumbled onto a version of God and Jesus that looked way better than the, than the God I grew up with. And through some mentors and through some people who walked with me, they really reintroduced me to Jesus for the first time. And I fell in love. Like that's G, if that's Jesus, if that's what God is like, I'll take it. I need it. And that gave me a kind of a renewed energy for the church, Because I saw the healing power of Jesus in community after kind of being amongst people who were grace soaked, just just soaked in the love and the mercy of Jesus, and they healed me. And it, uh, yeah, I still get worked up, choked up about it because it's beautiful. So I'm a believer in the church because I've seen its healing power uh, to restore people and to include people that were always excluded. That that religion spit out, or we could say secularism spit out, um, because there's secular rejects and there's religious rejects. Uh, they're both sides of the same coin, actually. And so I want to be a part of a building communities of Jesus that are yes and perfect and all that, but that are that are uh, these places of of healing and restoration and
0: inclusion. It's interesting, kind of hearing your heart. You know, even right on the the the, the emotional line there, um, getting kind of choked up about it because our whole kickoff series, trying to speak to people who would otherwise be done with church, really the only antidote we had was, listen, you're only going to be undone with church if you stop and are first undone with Jesus, and the only way you would be compelled by the opportunity or vision or potential of the church is if you are exclusively fixated on who Jesus is and who he wants to be in your life. And it's being compelled by him that would motivate you to be, to be uh, gripped by his vision for the church. Can I,
1: can I say something? There's a caveat there when it's Jesus teaching, what I've noticed is even in my own life, when I'm, when I'm fascinated by the teaching of Jesus, I can be fascinated by the teaching of Jesus And be pulled away from his community and not i can be done with the church but be fascinated with the teaching of jesus when you become compelled spiritually and say existentially and when you encounter jesus and place yourself in a place to be encountering the person of jesus that person always leads you back to his people his community there's no there's no person of jesus that's somehow devoid of his people uh, but his teachings, if you fascinate and fixate on those, it'll take you away. It can take you away from his people. It's fascinating.
0: That's a great observation. And I hope the leaders listening are scribbling that down. That could be next week's sermon. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, uh, John, let's talk about your day job, not your side hustle as the location pastor, um, because you've been working out for a number of years uh, in a ministry that's kind of an extension of the local church called Jesus Collective, Um, We had Matt Miles uh, share with us about six months ago. So maybe you could remind us, you know, what is Jesus Collective and what's kind of the history behind it? How did it come to be?
1: Yeah. um, So Jesus Collective started, uh, the idea of Jesus Collective started probably about 13 or 14 years ago. Um, Back then to rewind in a very different world than we're in now. Um, a church in the greater Toronto area called the Meeting House had a teaching pastor named Bruxy Cavey who became friends with another like speaker, author, pastor, teacher in Minnesota named Greg Boyd. And um, our, the, the churches, the two churches, the Meeting House, and then Greg's church, Woodland Hills Church, started to kind of form a friendship and they would pastor swap and, And, um, the staff would engage in, it it was really a, a unique synergy because they were both kind of, um, say amplifying a, a way of understanding the, the, the teaching and the way in the life of Jesus that many people found compelling and they would call it Jesus centered, this kind of Jesus centered approach that is saying, uh, let's, let's make sure that Jesus is at the center and not the Bible is at the center. Uh, we, we need the Bible. We believe in the Bible, but like, let's, let's put Jesus at the center. Um, sometimes when we put the Bible at the center, we can lose the plot or for our more progressive friends, you know, uh, sometimes justice can take the place of the center. And, uh, if it becomes the center, we can lose the plot. And, and so, if we put jesus at the center we get we get justice if we put jesus at the center we get you know submission to the good wisdom and of the scriptures it's all there but uh we can have those and miss jesus in the process and and then there's kind of implications that these two preachers would would weekly um, you know kind of help people connect dots to and so it it began to help people going to reimagine in some ways a more simpler faith around jesus Um, and that has deep implications all over the place for the church, for the individual Christian. And over the years, people started saying, how can we connect to others who are tracking with these conversations and who are thinking these thoughts and, and wanting to like get back to this kind of renewal around Jesus. And the answer was really pitiful. It was like, I don't know, Facebook group or something that just wouldn't work. And so, a couple years ago, uh, about four or five years ago now, uh, the Meeting House Church kind of believed that the Holy Spirit was calling them to kind of put their hand up and answer, answer the call to invest some money and start this network, what became, is now today, Jesus Collective, as a way to kind of coalesce people and churches and individuals, mostly leaders and church leaders, lay leaders even, who... Uh, are wanting to kind of put Jesus at the center and have a a singular focus that kind of renews them individually and spiritually is also renewing their churches around the person of Jesus. So that's kind of how it came about through Bruxy and Greg's synergy because they had um, radio ministries, (laughs) which not radio, but they had YouTube ministries and podritioners who were connecting with them but had no place to find other people. And Jesus Collective is is in part the answer to how do I connect to this? You can connect to Jesus Collective. We're trying to unite, amplify, and equip a Jesus-centered movement is the we're not the movement. There's a movement that's taking place that's bigger than us. But we're trying to unite it and equip it and amplify that it's there.
0: And and what's the reach right now? How many churches, people, whatever would kind of identify as being part of this collective?
1: Yeah, so directly a part of it, we have a we have like a, a an inner circle um that's kind of the the people who are the most invested in this this idea and in the relationships around this idea. So, we say we're a relational network of like-minded but not uniform churches and leaders. And so, uh right now we have around I don't know 100 different individuals who are investing their time and investing financially to be a part of the partnership of Jesus Collective. And then we have about 27 churches and organizations who are affiliating with us and saying, we want organizationally to participate, we want to contribute, and we want to receive um, the effects of this conversation on our leaders, on our discipleship. And Um, and then beyond that, so that's kind of those who are the most skin in the game beyond that, we call it the network. So that's the partnership. The network is churches that are tracking with this conversation. So they might be reading blogs or they might be contributing to blogs, or they might be, um, joining different kind of pop-up groups or equipping opportunities that we feature. And we have around, uh, on our mailing list of people who've given us their mailing list, their, their email, we have around 2,500 people who've said we want to hear from you. we have around 3,000 or I don't know three to four thousand people on social media that are tracking with our social media channels. So we don't really know how broad that is but we have a little bit of counter. Um, we do a podcast we've we've had probably 30,000 podcast downloads so um, it's not it's not taking over the world but it but it matters and it's significant and we find that it's growing. People keep finding us and we keep finding them and they're like, where have you been? You're, you're saying the same thing that we've been saying in our church for 10 years, trying to scratch at, how do we be more Jesus centered? Um, and we're finding each other and it's exciting.
0: And in your description earlier of, of the contrast between what Jesus centeredness isn't versus it is, why are you seeing Jesus centeredness resonate so strongly, at least with this kind of subculture of people?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think people have been in in traditions that have uh, that are that are beautiful traditions. And on their best day, they exemplify an aspect of God that we need to like that we need to make sure we don't leave out on a bad day, though. Um, maybe some traditions lose the plot. And so here's what I mean. It's a little bit of a circuitous answer to that question. So when you say Jesus-centered, right, we are Trinitarian. We believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? Um, But if you grew up in a tradition like I did that featured primarily God the Father, and he got more airtime than the rest of them, and because the Holy Spirit's a crazy uncle or aunt, and we, she's unpredictable, and we don't know what to do with her. And Jesus is the one who died for us to forgive us of our sins. But God, God is how we, God is who we relate to, who we serve, who we submit to. But God is Almighty and all powerful. And so over time, the tradition I grew up in, at least, lost the plot, and they got fascinated with power and control, and and so. Uh, power and control with God the Father primarily sitting in the seat of honor um, displaced the other two members of the Trinity. So when when people who come from that tradition find us, they say, "I I want to know God, but God looks like Jesus. God does not look like all power who goes around squashing his enemies. Jesus died for his enemies." Uh, so that, that's a stream of people. We see a stream of people who came from some of the charismatic traditions that we honor and appreciate, and they would say, sometimes when you put the Holy Spirit as the centerpiece of everything, you, you get, a, say, a disproportionate focus on the power and the, and the works of the Holy Spirit, and you might lose the plot for transformation, and, and so having Jesus re-centered at the center in the power of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's role is to point to Jesus, not just to, to, to create dynamite and dunamis, but to, cre- to point to Jesus, to illuminate Jesus, to make Jesus greater. And so those people coming out of those traditions are saying, we're finding it refreshing that Jesus is the centering for the works of the Holy Spirit. And they're finding life in that. And then you could you could say the same with the Bible. So fundamentalists or legalistic traditions that place the Bible at the center, they get bound up in the rules and the regulations of the Bible and miss the plot of Jesus at the center, who is the true word of God, right? He's the He's the fullest revelation of God. And so people who are finding us are having to kind of reimagine, say, unlearn some of the downsides of the traditions they came from and are finding when you put Jesus at the center, you get the best of your tradition back. But it's, it's held in a way that's focused on Jesus who sacrifices for his enemies, who dies for his enemies, who's nonviolently loving his enemies and allowing them to kill him rather than him dominating them. Um, And so many people are finding it invigorating, coming out of different Christian traditions, not leaving their traditions, but just finding Jesus at the center to invigorate them again in fresh ways, if
0: that makes sense. Yeah, and one of the invigorating features that at Southridge we're going to dig into for seven weeks is... You know, all of the major implications of this in a in the life of a follower of Jesus. Never mind in the life of a of a faith community that's aspiring to be Jesus-centered. And, and one of the biggest implications is this kind of paradigm or this mental model of faith uh, that forms community in a centered set way instead of a bounded set way. Describe the difference between those two because I think that's significant for both the followers listening and the, and the leaders who are listening.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you were to take a blank sheet of paper and you were to divide that paper in half and uh, on the left-hand side of the paper, you were to draw a circle and that circle could represent a lot of different things. It could represent common beliefs that we have. It could represent common culture that we share. It could represent um, a common uh, practice like attending church together, attending Southridge Church together. Um, What happens over time when we draw, so those lines that define us and hold us together, we feel a strong sense of belonging together inside that line. that line at the same time, while well, it's drawing us together in a sense of belonging because of our conformity, because of what we have in common and our shared, our shared commitments and our shared beliefs. Those things are they're great, but at the same time, they often can create this kind of in and out mentality. We're in here, we have these beliefs, you're out there, you're not one of us because you don't believe like we do, or you don't see the world like we do and we call that a bounded set and you can you can put anything in that in that circle it doesn't have to just be church you could put anything it could be socioeconomic right it's like this is what defines us this is what makes us the same and if you're not in this strata then you're you're not one of us you're on the other side of it it's a bounded set and uh, there's an in and there's an out and then uh, on the right hand side of that page, if you just drew an X in the middle of that page and you drew arrows pointing to that x, and maybe you could draw some arrows closer into that x that are drawing that are pointing away from that x. And in that, we call this a centered set. So in this in this idea, the the thing that gives us, say commonality is not the line that defines us to give us say uniformity or conformity you can actually, in this side, you can actually have a lots of, say, difference and diversity. You can can be moving, though, in the same direction. So uh, if you put Jesus in the center of that, and I'm like a kilometer away, but you're like 200 meters away, and we're pointing in the same direction, we're moving towards the center. So even theologically, if we share different beliefs, like we're not in and out based on those beliefs what 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 is drawing us is that we are moving in the same direction and that direction for us is a person it's not a culture it's not a book it's not a belief statement it's not a creed it's a person it's Jesus Christ and so when we are orienting ourselves with him at the center it's decentering all kinds of things at the same time it's decentering us it's decentering our church programs. It's decentering our traditions. It's all of those things take their place, but they don't define us. They don't. They don't. Uh, they're not the coalescing purpose. The coalescing purpose isn't even community itself, although that's a part of it. It's Jesus the person, and what I love about it is the arrows can point from whatever distance, and. You can be close to that. You can be born in the church. You can be around this stuff all the time, but in our hearts, your arrow can be pointing away. You can be pointing towards tradition, towards the Bible, towards justice, towards, you know, um, changing the world, and actually not be pointing at Jesus. And so you, you can be pointing towards community. I think that's one thing that probably those of us in our say brand of Christianity, we sometimes might get community confused with Jesus. But at the same time, like I said before, you, if you have Jesus at the center, you get his community. So, um, I think there's so much there for discipleship that we could just unpack for seven weeks or longer. Um, when you put Jesus at the center, it kind of changes, flips the script.
0: And in that way that it, it flips the script, I see so many people who are in the process of embracing this to a greater degree, and especially that shift in mentality, you know, whether it's from being Bible-centered to Jesus-centered or even Jesus-teaching-centered to the person yes, of Jesus-centered. That's right. You, you see, You see this shift from bounded set to centered set living both with God and in community in a way the the buzzword is that is deconstructing. It's kind of renovating Mm -hmm. their faith. And I guess from your experience, especially in the Jesus collective network, what what would some of the main features be that a Jesus centered follower most has to shed in order to embrace a greater degree of Jesus centeredness for their lives? What, What kind of deconstruction are you seeing to be the most common?
1: Well, there's a lot. I mean, so there's a there's a theological component, and then there's a lived experience component. And obviously, theology can impact lived experience. But um, from a from a lived experience, uh, people are having to Christians are having to deconstruct uh, certainty because if I'm living in the bounded reality, I can be very certain of what makes me on the right side, on the inside of that bounded circle, that set. And um, and when you flip the script to kind of a more centered set, one of the things that you have to shed in order to be able to be, say, on the journey with other people is that you have to shed rigidity and you have to shed certainty, which is really a form of control. And this form of control shows up for progressives and conservatives. It's not just like those religious backwoods people that, you know, we grew, we might have grown up with. These are also conservatives. We live in a world where uh, we are canceling each other all over the place if you don't conform to our, like, implied moral judgments, about how the world should work and about who's good and who's bad and who's on the right side and who's on the wrong side so we use a solar system analogy that has really given us life in this Um, so if you put if you if you in our solar system if you have the sun and you increase the size of the sun in our solar system they tell me i'm no physicist that it actually increases the gravity of the planets towards the sun So the, the pull of the gravity of the planets towards the sun increases. The planets come towards the sun when you make the sun bigger. So let's say in a lived experience, Jesus is the center of the solar system, right? He's the center. And if we make him bigger, you're over there on the other side of the universe and I'm over here. So you're a planet over there. I'm a planet here. When we make Jesus bigger, we actually come towards each other and we haven't actually changed each other's beliefs about the world. And we're not canceling each other. We're moving towards each other. Um, I think, you know, in some ways Southridge calls this love beyond belief, like this is when we make Jesus bigger, it's not disregarding our beliefs. It's saying there's something bigger than, and that bigger than is the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we're doing that, I'm coming closer to you, and I have to talk to you. I, I can't cancel you. I have to learn from you, and you're disturbing me in a good way, and I'm disturbing you in a good way. And so now there's this humility, if I'm going to stay in this. I could run away and go to the church where everybody's the same. It's happening all over the place. I hope it doesn't happen to Southridge right? Like that we would actually be a church where we're not all the same and we're not all ideologically progressive or all ideologically conservative, but that we're allowing Jesus to hold us in this tension that I have to take a posture of humility and allow you to disturb me when I want to run away. Psychologically, emotionally, I want to run away. But because of Jesus I want to love you. I am learning to love you. I'm learning to understand you and see the world the way that you see the world. And that disturbs me in all the best ways. It disciples me in all the best ways. And I think this is one of the opportunities of our moment. If we're going to put Jesus at the center, that we have to shed certainty and we have to shed rigidity and we cannot cancel each other and we cannot run from each other like culture's polarizing us. We're all going into our ideological corners. We're all being polarized. We're all on social media with everybody else who's just echo chambering like we are the same stuff. And the church could be the one place where we're actually in relationship and we're talking to each other in a way that isn't the echo chamber and we're naming our differences, but we're, cha- we're choosing to stay together together. Uh, out of humility and because we have a higher allegiance to the person of Jesus.
0: John, I'm thrilled by the way that you've delivered the wedding of our appetite for this seven weeks, uh, at least as a local church, how we're going to spend our fall. Uh, Knowing that we could be talking about this forever. We'll defer a lot of this to the next seven weeks of content. I know that you're up for one of them. And so am I, Um, as we wrap up though, both for Southridge members Uh, and to other leaders listening any final just encouragements or challenges when it comes to both living as followers but also leading uh, with a greater degree of Jesus centeredness around the person not just the teaching the person of Jesus
1: yeah I like whoever's listening like this is this is our moment I, I have you know it's popular to kind of pile on the church right now and they've got leaders popping up all over the place I used to work at a church where the leader Bruxy Cavey has like been proven under allegation and proof to have done some really very very damaging things to women and it's heartbreaking and and I want to pile on with everybody else and say Let's just burn it down. But the world is hungry for Jesus. Maybe not church programs. Maybe they're not hungry for Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they are hung. I believe they're hungry for Jesus, whether they know it or not. And I think uh, you know, in the Canadian context, there was once a time when healthcare just it was not. A given that everybody should have health care and there were some christians who came along tommy douglas being one of them i'm not trying to get political i'm giving this as an example he came along and inspired by jesus said i actually think inspired by jesus we can bring something to the civic order that is missing that is in deficit that is not there because uh you know for whatever reason." but inspired by jesus the church started to kind of rally and they were like we need to do this and i think that there's a moment here in the canadian context where we're losing the ability to talk to each other we're losing the ability to disagree and i think if we the church decide to double down on putting jesus at the center and we learn to stick together when we want to divide and we learn to talk to each other and we learn how to make peace and shalom in a world that's fragmenting us and polarizing us. I think we have something to give to the Canadian context. We have a gift to give, which is to help Canada be more Canadian, right? Be more of what it says. We want to be tolerant and we want to be diverse we want to be, but we don't know how to do that actually in this country. We don't know how to do it. And so, Jesus gives us an imagination and skills for how to do this. And if we can do it as a church, we can bring it to our communities. Do you think that's relevant? I think that's incredibly relevant. I think it's relevant to the future of our nation, actually. These are the kinds of things when we allow Jesus to inspire us. There could be 12 other things that are deficits in our culture right now that if we look at Jesus and we look at them through the lens of Jesus— He could inspire us as the church to bring something about in the world that's missing, that's needed, that's relevant. And it's way more relevant than a Sunday morning, although that's good. And so I think let's, let's, let's have these conversations so that we can find those things in our local context where Jesus at the center makes all the difference. So have hope. (laughs) Jesus is not done with his church. Uh, let's just put him at the center and see what he does with us.
0: Fantastic. John, thanks so much for being here. And uh, if you're listening, uh, Jesus collective.com is where you can find their work and uh, ways to connect there. Uh, And I would encourage all of you to track with our series for the next seven weeks. I hope you've been inspired by John as a bit of a, uh, as a bit of a precursor to what we're going to get into. Uh, Excited that you joined us today and uh, hope that you'll continue tracking with us as we keep finding our way together. Take care, everybody.